Hi, I'm Andy Obufuribo. Welcome to the African Pre-Seed Podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're a founder, investor, or an operator, and you're trying to understand the African tech ecosystem. In this episode, we're talking about solving real problems, leveraging skilled operators. As we all know, the fundraising market is slowing down. And as the market shifts, early revenue is becoming more critical for startups in the ecosystem. Now, should this change what founders are building? And should it change the way they're building it? Those are the questions we're trying to answer today. And unpacking that with me here, I have Gerald Black. Gerald is a very rare thing in the ecosystem. He's a founder who's actually exited. Yes, that's right. He is the former founder of Packet, which got acquired by Fixit45. After that, he became the VP of business development at Fixit45. Now he's moved on. He's the current head of go-to-market at Anchor. Anchor is a Y Combinator-backed banking-as-a-service startup. He's also managing partner of MicroBlack, that's a sales and business development growth marketing team. And he's the partner at Black Ops. There's a lot <laughs> that Gerald is doing, one man at the same time. I'm sure I've left, left out a lot, <laughs> uh, but he's also a guest uh, on the podcast. So Gerald, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Uh, it's it's quite funny because I'm usually the one asking the questions. <laughs> you know, I have my own podcast as well. Right, yeah, right, right. right. But I, I think this is a nice twist. Yes, you know? it, it, it's also weird because I, I, oftentimes I'm the one on the other end as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to have you here. We will get into it, but I think before we dive right in, let's have a little icebreak. I, I like to call this one Rate This. All right. Rate this, rate this, rate this, rate this. So it's, it's very simple, okay? okay? It's, I'm going to throw a few topics at you, and it's just your gut reaction on a scale of one, uh, one to five. And one is out of runway, burned out, crashed, folded. Five is unicorn exit. You know, like you really, really love this, right? Okay. Awesome. So ready? Sure. Okay. The funding drought will produce the next two African unicorns. I would give that a three. Three? Yes. A safe three. Yes. Why? I, would, I would give that a three because we need to become intentional about what we're building. I mean, over time we've seen people in some cases, build for the sole purpose of raising funds, right? But we now need to start identifying very unique problems and problems that can drive massive adoption, right? Because once you have adoption, you have paying customers and you have a sustainable business, right? So in a large extent, I would say three, because I believe this will cause you to refocus, you know, your energy on not just trying to raise money, but now also trying to solve real problems and getting real customers that kind of like validates what you're building. And it will make it easier to raise money because you have that validation, right? So, yeah, so it's a three for me. Sounds like we've worked past the ice break and right into the topic. <laughs> but yes, I think it's interesting. So, I guess, are you putting it as a three because you feel if we, if this ecosystem can make the adjustment, we will get a unicorn. But if they can't, we won't. Yeah. Yeah. You can put it that way. Okay. Cool. And um, next one air travel. <laughs> I try to avoid it if I can. So, <laughs> so especially taking off and landing. So, I, I think I'll just, I'll give that a two. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you built a car startup, so I'm yeah, not well, surprised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ecosystem mixers, and I'm looking at oh, you. Oh, that's a five. Ah. That's, that's a solid five. If you have given me any <laughs> other answer. Like, for that's those a who, solid five. For, for those listening, uh, Jared is, shall I say, are the king of ecosystem yeah. mixers. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that drives collaboration. Right. You know, creating the platform, bringing people together. Right. Really amazing. And speaking of bringing... Um, people together and a community let's talk about ECOWAS as an economic block uh okay so I'll say three and the reason why I say three is because there's still a lot to do that's currently not being done right mm-hmm. especially around driving policies right. making exchange inter- like intercountry exchange and payments and you know policies that drive um, trade right we don't have all of those today but if we can if you know ECOWAS the union can come together and drive some of these policies, right? Then we will see us moving towards the five. But right now, a lot of things are still missing. So I would give that a three. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting when you go to Francophone ECOWAS, there's a lot more into integration. Exactly. You know, common exactly. currency, of course, exactly. that helps. Exactly. Uh, common monetary policy, and that also improves that. But then the, there's still that rift between francophone and anglophone echoers which hopefully we can we can mm-hmm, close mm-hmm. up over time and the last one is the future value of the naira mm. <laughs> i don't think i want to touch that right <laughs> <laughs> what the naira or the topic the topic <laughs> i do not want i mean so there, there are a lot of uncertainties especially around policies um, so the administration is still very new and i feel like it'll take a while before they can absolutely know what they're doing right so it's, it's very unpredictable right now so I, I think i'll just stay away from that right now <laughs> okay yeah all right Ice well and truly broken. Rate this, rate this, rate this, rate this. Now let's get into the topic. Awesome. But before we do, I, I think the ecosystem needs to hear a bit more about what you've achieved. Like I said, exits are rare. You have an exit. So tell us about that. Tell us about your journey to an exit. All right. So my, my journey actually started in 2012, right? I am straight out of school. I was still in school at the time when I started my first company, I'm called WeFix. That was way back in 2012. You know, I was inspired by, I don't know if you've seen the Mark Zuckerberg movie called Social Network. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, seeing him start Facebook out of a dorm room and all of that, right? So I got really inspired to start something. Um, Although my first company wasn't a tech company, right? It was a facility management company, but it was born out of real problems. Seeing people, especially my dad at the time, busy professionals finding it very difficult to get artisans plumbers electricians right so i decided to start a company that you could call regardless of who you're trying to find a plumber electrician cleaners whatever you call us we get it done and you don't have to spend time supervising the work because we are a responsible company that you could hold accountable and you, are, you kind of like outsource that project to us and then we get it done for you right, right. and then so i started this out of school you know instead of we have this compulsory internship that you have to go on because I I'm a, I was an engineering student in right. school, right? And for me, as opposed to finding internship, I decided to start something of my own, <laughs> which is not very popular, but that was the route I decided to take. And then fast forward to 2015, I moved to Lagos. Now I was done from school. 
and then you know NYSE again we have this compulsory youth service you know and I got posted to Lagos State right and then arriving in Lagos there was this very rude awakening that I got, which was the fact that we had a lot of facility management companies here, mm. right? And, you know, the first question for me was, how do I compete in a very saturated market? I think that's the first question anyone who comes from anywhere else in Nigeria to Lagos. Exactly. You realize that exactly. what you were doing, well, there's a, a hundred other people doing that same thing. Exactly. Because I was doing it in Delta State right. before moving to Lagos. And um, getting to Lagos, very saturated market, you know, so I decided to... Um, pause on that project for a while and just try to figure out what's the sweet spot to penetrate this market. What do I do? And while I was at that, one of the way, ways I realized was, you know, the fastest way to integrate in any society is to meet people through social gathering, churches, and all of that. So I signed up on a platform called Meetup. It's an app for, you know, it gives you events, yes. you know. And then I saw... This event, I think it was a tech event hosted by MEST. And I, so I, I attended the event, Jason Njoko of Eureka TV, and a couple other people were speaking that day. And that was my first exposure, my first real exposure to tech, leveraging tech to offer real solutions to unique problems, right? right? So I got that eye-opening for me, and you know, I decided to pivot to a tech company, right? So I started iFix. iFix was a pivot from WeFix. Now, this was like an Uber for artisans. So as opposed to us coming to manage the project, you right. can you can hire a plumber straight out of the app and then you get someone come over, you know. But I quickly realized we, we got some seed funding for that, pre-seed funding, you know, for that. But I quickly realized that maybe the market was a bit too early, right? Because... This environment, as we all know, is, you know, we're very community-driven. People would rather go for referrals as opposed to, you know, going and to an app. Yes. Exactly, especially in Nigeria and, you know, other parts of Africa. People would rather call friends, call family members. And do you have an electrician you could refer? Do you have a plumber you could refer? Right. So iFix did not do well. <laughs> and we saw our burn rates moving so fast, we're losing a lot of money and we had to think about the next thing really quickly, right? Pivot to what really works and what, you know, the society, the, the community was ready for. So we, we pivoted to Packet in 2018 and that was when we started Packet. Now, Packet became a retail chain of vehicle care outlets where you could just do driving, get your cars detailed. We decided to start with a low-hanging fruit, which was vehicle care and detailing. And of course, we're leveraging technology for that, where you could go online, see the closest location to you, pay to get prioritized services and get your vehicles properly attended to. So we, we partnered with the malls, the, shop, the malls that have ShopRite in them, um, to deliver excellent services to our customers who you know want to do other things like grocery shopping, while they're getting their vehicles attended to. And then that was when we came in contact with the Casford 5 team. Mm. Yes. So this, this is where the story to acquisition actually started. And let me just mention, when we were building Packet, because we're now playing in the auto care space, there are a lot of vert verticals in auto care. There's repair, there's maintenance, there's refurbishment. There are a lot of verticals. And we knew that the only way we could succeed is if we raised a lot of money 
or we get acquired by a much bigger player, right? Mm -hmm. So somewhere at the back of our mind, we always knew that an exit route would be acquisition. And yeah, so we we became a vendor to Cast 45 at the time. Cast 45 used to be um, one of the largest auto care company, or, or rather auto auto tech company, auto tech platform for buying and selling vehicles, right? So what we did then was when Cast45 buys these vehicles, they will bring it to us mm -hmm. and then we'll touch on those vehicles before they take them to their showroom and then resell them to end customers that are looking to buy vehicles, right? We started that relationship with them for a while. And then, you know, at the time, they now had that pivot and started Fixing 45. And that was when the acquisition happened, right? Because Fixing 45 was focused on after vehicle after sales. Why Cast 45 was focused on sales and, you know, buying, selling and all of that, right? And, you know, it just made sense because we already had a relationship with them. They were now playing in our space and we had a lot of customers. We had locations both in Lagos, both in Abuja, we're already scaling. And, you know, for them, it just made sense to acquire what we were doing and then build on that, right? So that's basically my journey from starting as a founder up until our acquisition in 2021. Okay. Now, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Always have to know the founder who exited. I mean, that was 2021. Hey, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes, you. Yes. Yeah. But now I'm very curious about the lessons you've drawn from that, especially in the context of this conversation about are founders building the right thing for the market. You've you've made some comments that maybe maybe not controversial, but at least ha have inspired a lot of, of, mm -hmm. of conversation mm -hmm. about uh, are founders building for customers or are they building for fund uh, for fundraisers and um, for, for for investors I, I would like you to go into a bit more detail there where you feel like founders some founders and or there's a trend in the ecosystem where a lot of founders aren't really trying to solve a real problem but they're actually trying to build something that gets them uh, gets them a check all right so I, I think we should take a step back and really dive into the whole concept of building in the first place right? Why are you building? You're building to solve problems. That's, that's the core of every single solution out there. You found a very unique set of problems and you're deciding that, hey, I have what it takes to solve these problems, right? Now, that is the first and fundamental reason why you're out there trying to build. Mm -hmm. If you have that mindset, right, then you understand that the, the, the next conversation for you becomes, how do I scale what I'm building so that a lot of people can benefit from the solution that I'm preferring out there? Now, with this mindset, you should definitely not be building to raise money, right? Because we all have that calling on us, especially as founders and as entrepreneurs, to make life easier for a lot of people, right? And when you have that understanding, then you understand that, oh, okay. Because to be honest, if you're... If, <laughs> I'm sorry, but if, if you're... <laughs> it's quite funny to me, right? But if you're building to raise money, then there's something really flawed there. And this is not to say that... Because the, the essence of raising or the essence of, you know, trying to get a check is to help scale that solution that you've been able to prefer. That should be the fundamental reason for raising money. So if you do get acquired in the process, 
then it tells you that you're doing something right and you know someone else is willing to take on what you have built so far and help you scale it or there's something very unique about what you have built that they want to integrate into something bigger right that should be the focus not trying to build to raise money if you do the right things eventually because what really happened in our own case was all the investors we had all the down to our acquisition they all came for us we i don't think for once we went looking for investors all the investors we ever had reached out to us because they saw what we were doing they saw down to the guys that actually like i said acquired our business they saw what we were doing they saw how unique our value propositions were and they definitely wanted to be a part of that, right? So if you build with that right mindset, it positions you to offer something very unique that people would definitely want to be a part of. Yeah, I think that raises a second point or a second question, which is sort of adjacent to that, which is you mentioned that the point of you know of, of fundraising is to have you know the money to scale that solution that solving a real problem that people have. Now, you have those in the venture capital community who will say that it's a second reason to um, to raise and to fundraise, which is that you are solving a problem that doesn't have an obvious solution. Like The more obvious the solution is, right, the easier it is to build very quickly, the easier it is to start getting lots of customers, paying customers, and mm -hmm. so the easier it is to get revenue. So the, the less need there is to fundraise. But the harder the problem, the less obvious the solution, the harder it is to get customers up front, especially at the early stage, right? So pre-seed. So there tends to now be a need to raise funds, which are basically used to sort of explore the problem and solution space, find that solution, which may or may not happen, which may, may or may not exist. And so in that situation, you're building to solve a problem, but you can't avoid raising. And you, you have to be building with raising in mind. So in that situation, is that really building with fundraising in mind? Or is that building to try and solve a problem, but you have no choice but to raise? Yeah, I, I think it's still building with solving a problem in mind. Because like you mentioned, there are some problems that don't have obvious solutions, right? And at the very core, your investors also need to understand where you are. And this is why I would say to some extent that when you're trying to solve a problem, ensure it's a problem you understand mm -hmm. and you have domain expertise, right? Because you're sort of like championing that conversation. Yes. And you're also making your investors know, hey, look, this is what we're trying to do. We might not have all the answers, mm -hmm. but you build confidence because right. they know you've treaded those paths and you will likely come up with, you know, a solution that solves or that speaks to those problems. Right. Now, imagine there's a founder who hasn't had their exit yet, right? There's a founder listening to this right now and you've stirred something in them and they're now, there's a bit of uncertainty and they're like, huh, am I building a real solution to a real problem or am I building to fundraise? And what should they be asking themselves right now to figure out where they are and to decide, okay, you know what? I am building for a real problem. All right, so I, I think the, the first question is, why did you start what you started in the first place? What is that conviction for you? There always has to be that conviction, right? Because 
it needs to when you even when you are trying to put together a team it needs to flow down to your team members they have to kind of like feel your passion feel the purpose right so those are some of the hard questions you you can't lie to yourself when <laughs> when you're asking yourself those questions it's very obvious you know the reason why you're doing whatever it is you're doing, right? So that's one of the first questions you have to ask yourself, right? And the second question becomes, do you have what it takes to actually take this from start to finish, right? Do you have the unique set of skills? Do you have the experience? If you don't, do you have the right people around you that can help you build or scale this thing that you're trying to do? Do you have the right set of investors, you have investors that are uniquely interested in what you're doing. And this is one of the reasons why I also love FFA, because I know you're very hands-on, right? And maybe this even goes down to what the companies you choose to work with, because they are companies that align with what you're trying to do, right? So these are some of the questions that even founders need to ask themselves. Why trying to fundraise from investors? Are these investors that believe in what we're trying to do? Do they believe in the vision? Do they believe in, you know, the mission at the end of the day, right? So these are the very hard questions that you really need to be very honest about. And once you can answer those questions, then you really know why you're doing what you're doing. Like I said, every, I mean, if you're not lying to yourself, it's going to be really clear. I, I want to go back to your pivot, Right. And because this is this is something that happens both with startups that succeed and with startups that fail, right? There's oftentimes, not oftentimes, but sometimes there's a realization that, okay, we were pretty sure that we were building something that was solving a real problem. But at some point, either we find out that, okay, the, sol the, the problem is real, but the solution isn't workable. Or we find out actually what we thought was a problem wasn't really a big problem. Like, you know, in product management, we talk about the difference between um, painkillers and a vitamin. And like, mm. you know, you're, you're mm. trying to solve a problem that really isn't, you know, you think you're, you're curing heart disease, but it turns out it's actually, you know, a headache, right? Or it turns out it's, you know, a much less serious sickness. So how do you keep yourself in check and realize that along the way, that, you know what, what I thought was an actual real problem wasn't a real problem. Or what I thought was a solution to that problem really isn't workable for whatever reason. So maybe use your example, um, your, your personal example mm -hmm. with iFixit, and then maybe we draw a, mm -hmm. a, a wider mm -hmm. lesson from there. So I, I really believe that there are some fundamental pointers that you should look out for. And that kind of like gives you some pointers in your direction, what you're trying to do, is it workable, is it something, excuse me, is this something that people are interested in, you know, and all of that. So I'll use myself as an example, right? So like I said, when we were building iFix, we quickly realized that, because adoption was really slow, and this was not because we had terrible customer experience or we didn't have a great product. We had all of those, right? But we then realized that it was more of the community wearing, the culture, mm. because sometimes there are some fundamental things that you don't pay attention to, like internet adoption, mm. which is mm. one of illiteracy levels, yes. right? You could be way ahead of your time and not because you don't have a great product, but because the market isn't ready for that product, right? right? So in our case, it was more of, you know, market readiness where 
like I said, we were still very community driven. And even till now, we still are very community driven mm-hmm. where a lot of people prefer referrals, mm-hmm. right? So if we were going to build something different, if we're not going to take that pivot, then we probably would have built around that culture and understanding this is what people are looking out for. So how do we enable that system? Or how do we plug into the culture that currently exists around that market, mm. right? So these are some of the pointers. And it comes with, and this is why I said it's very important to have domain expertise and local knowledge. Yes. Because these are some of the things that comes with understanding how the system works, understanding how the market works, understanding the culture, understanding the solution and the problem, and realizing that not everything requires just a map. Some things need more than just building a solution around it. Some things are more of a system architecture type thing where you're building around that product. Yes. And you are enabling people to help drive that product and all of that. So you need to pay attention to all of these things. I want to dig a bit deeper into that because okay. interesting because marketplaces have have come up a lot without being called so uh, um, right now in this conversation. So what you first built with iFix was a marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Then uh, later when you sold, when you exited, you exited to to Fix It Forty Five, which came from Cars Forty Five, which was also <laughs> a marketplace, right? This time instead of you know connecting artisans to customers, it was connecting. Cars, uh, car, car sellers mm-hmm. to to car buyers, right? Now, you mentioned you talked about Uber earlier on as a market. Oh, you can talk about uh, you know Airbnb. Now, you mentioned something that part of the reason why iFix struggled was that people were not ready for that type of marketplace. They were not ready for you know getting artisans through an anonymous service. They wanted a, you know they needed a referral from someone they knew, someone they trusted, right? So trust becomes an issue. Personal relationship becomes important when looking for an artisan. In a way, it does it when it comes to looking for a, for a car on Uber or the way it, or looking for a, or a house on Airbnb. So in your opinion, as an operator who's been in the space, what are do you think there are cultural things you can use to sort of, cultural factors that we can use to determine when will a marketplace work and when won't it work? Right? When will people be willing to get this product or service on an anonymous marketplace? And when will they need no instead, no, for this type of goods or service, no, instead, I want someone I trust, someone I know, someone I can hook. Like, do you think we know what the difference is? Yeah, so it all boils down to, if you're going into a new market, for example, right, I think the first thing you would do is to talk to the locals so to get a better understanding of what is the buyer behavior how do people perceive certain kind of things? Like, for example, um, I think I so you, let me. You mentioned Cast Forty Five, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would just like to dive a bit deeper into that. Sure. I can tell you for free that one of the reasons why Cast Forty Five thrived was because they had physical centers. <laughs> somewhere <laughs> I can go yes, and shout. Somewhere you can see someone, you can feel, you can yes. touch the person. You know that because before it, I bring out that money to ex- buy a car, exactly, I need to know ex- your office, exactly, so that if the car doesn't show up, exactly, I know I can go there <laughs> and I can get someone responsible for that. Exactly, exactly, right. So, and I think that was a very smart team. They understood the market really quickly and they knew how to optimize to serve the market, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it comes with that basic understanding of what works and what doesn't work. You know, 
I, I don't think I still don't believe in you know to a very large extent that people would just look for a vehicle online. It's I mean the ticket sizes for those purchases are not small, right? I wouldn't do that. Just go online and make a payment and expect that my vehicle will show up in my front. Door. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I would rather drive somewhere and, you know, inspect the vehicle, go with my technician till I'm very satisfied and I know who I'm paid and the vehicle is going out with me, right? So <laughs> so it's it's a very it's a very nuanced kind of conversation, right? The the market is unique and you have to build around the uniqueness. Yeah, exactly. I agree. This point you're making, it reminds me of carbon. Carbon is a is a relatively new startup right now, and they are in the same space as Cars Forty Five, which is basically aggregating inventory of various car dealers and connecting them to car buyers. But Carbon kind of agrees with you; they don't believe that people will just go on a website, a random website, and buy, a, <laughs> and buy a car. Absolutely so, not. So what they do instead, right, is that the other side of the marketplace isn't the car buyer. The other side is like agents are hustlers are people who just so basically you are a hustler you want to you 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 want to be selling cars on the side as part of a gig right to make for supplementary income so you go on the carbon platform and you can find the cars you want to sell then now it's up to you to sell those cars through your social network you the people you know in real life you know that's your eggborn that's your big uncle who likes to buy cars your aunt that likes to buy a car you sell it to her or you usually put them on your whatsapp stories and people reach out to you people who know you and trust you say oh i want to buy a car through you so basically um they are getting rid of that trust factor by connecting instead of trying to sell to end end buyers they're selling it to people who already have trust. Exactly. You know, so... It, exactly. You know, I think... Exactly. I think that's one of the trends we might see in marketplaces is people being more and more open to trust as a service. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we see the same thing. It, it also happens to me, right? We see the same thing happening with even trying to buy things via Instagram, for example. Um, if you don't have... Most times I will request for pay on delivery because I don't, I've been scammed before on, <laughs> I've been scammed before and I wouldn't fall for that again. So the first question for me is, is it pay on delivery? Mm-hmm. If you say yes, fine, let yes. me see it. And then I'm, I'm willing, because the same thing, we have these trust issues with vendors online because of many factors that you and I know, right? And maybe something like an escrow service as well, where you help build trust would also be something to look out for right, for e-commerce platforms and marketplaces. Now, you talk a lot about operators. You call yourself an operator and you run a community for operators. Before we go back into the topic, I think it's good to flag what what you mean there. What is an operator in your opinion? All right, so an, an operator is someone who is non-technical in tech, right? Ah. I mean, so it's an umbrella word, okay, especially in the tech context mm. for your Biz dev folks, mm. folks in sales, folks in marketing, folks in HR, you know, everyone who is pretty much non-technical, they're all referred to as operators who help run the company end-to-end, away from writing code and product and engineering and all of that, right? So yeah. those are the operators. Operators don't get a lot of light on them, right? So 
I'm trying my best as possible to help people recognize the efforts of op- operators. Because I think operators themselves are okay being <laughs> in the shadows. Yeah, they're okay being the in the scenes. dark. Yeah, yeah, they're okay because maybe because they've never been celebrated, right? And I'm also happy that Founders Factory Africa is also working with us at Black Ops to help, you know, shed some light on the work that operators are actually doing because they deserve to be celebrated. Now, I think when you describe operators that way as non-technical people in tech, and we talk about this subject about uh, building real, uh, real solutions for real problems, it almost sounds like the operators have a lot to offer there specifically. Absolutely. As people who, because we're talking about real world and you know the real world skills and the real, so what do you think operators bring to the table when it comes to making sure that what the startup is building is a real solution for a real problem yeah. operators are pretty much the engine room for whatever it is you're building right i mean you need someone running your finances as, as a founder especially as the company grows your focus begins to shift you now have to deal with investor management you know, managing company affairs in general. You need people on ground to help you manage the day-to-day operations. You need people on ground to help you with sales, Mm -hmm. help you drive that product and help you scale whatever it is you're building. Mm -hmm. You need people to manage your team. And that's where you have HR, you have people in, you know, people culture and all of that, right? So operators help manage the end-to-end of every startup or every business, right? That you do not have poor view of day-to-day, in day-to-day affairs especially, right? And that is why you need to enable operators to be able to carry out these things effectively. You mentioned sales and biz dev uh, as part of, uh, under the umbrella of operators. And of course, you know, those guys are in direct contact with the customers all the time. As a a product person, I, I know that in my experience, listening to sales and listening to marketing and listening to biz dev has saved me from so many problems. That feedback. Yes. Very critical. Very critical, Very critical. Feed- <laughs> feedback. Both in terms of what they can tell you directly and also in terms of the skills they can teach you mm. about talking to the customer and, and understanding yeah. the customer. Right. So what do you think in terms of we, we, taking you back to that unicorn question, right? And you said you gave, you gave the three, right? So what do you think startups need to do in the current environment with funding running out, right? Or not running out, but lower levels than before. More of an emphasis on revenue uh, overgrowth at the early stages. And you're saying if we do the right things, we will end up with unicorns. If we do the wrong things, it's all, you know, good luck till the next bubble. What do you think those right things are? What do you think founders building right now should be doing slightly differently than they were doing before in practical terms. And that's the last one before I let you go. All right. So I I think coming back to investors and investment, right? I, I don't think investors will go away. I mean, people still have money and they're looking for things to invest that money in, right? So the question now becomes, what am I investing in? What What is the criteria for choosing who I would invest in, right? That's now the critical question. And for you as a founder... You now need to understand that it's on you to prove that whatever it is you're coming up with can be invested in. And this goes down to, number one, ensuring that you have a unique set of solutions to whatever problem 
that you're trying to solve for. That's one. Number two, ensuring that you're the right person. Because that is the next question. What makes you, what equips you to become, or what makes you the right person to solve that particular problem that you're trying to solve? What makes you and your team, right? Is it your education? Is it your background? Is it your domain expertise? Is it your story? Is it your experience? Why are you the right person for that problem? The third one for me would be how scalable is that solution, right? Because it needs to be something that can operate anywhere in the world, right? So I know we have unique set of approaches for different markets, right? But looking at it on a broader scale, whatever it is you're preferring needs to have the tendency to scale without necessarily having to scale your team or your overhead, right? So is it a scalable solution? Is it real? Is it practical, right? And when you have all of that, do you have a unique understanding of the market? Who is your ideal customer? Is there, you know, have you searched your market readiness? Is the market ready for what you're building? You know, so these are all the practical questions that you need to be able to answer, right? And once you can have, because I'll, I'll tell you, for example, right? I think I was having this conversation with you a while back. And when we started Packet, from day one, while we were still literally, because I, I mentioned, right, we had to have physical locations, we partnered with the malls, the ShopRite malls, we partnered with them. And from day one, while we were still literally putting up the bulbs and setting up, we had people driving down to our lots. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys open? Are you ready? I was like, no, we're still setting up, you know. We had paying customers from day one, right? And that was all the validation we needed at that point to know that, oh, okay, I think we've we've gotten it right this time. I mean, this is what people have been looking for. This is what they are craving, right? So you need to look out for those pointers and you need to listen to the market, right? Especially in terms of, you know, the product, in terms of your commercials, is the pricing right? Is this what customers want? You know, are you getting repeat customers? You know, because any investor who sees all of these things would definitely jump on whatever it is you're building. And it's always more exciting when, the investors are the ones approaching you as opposed to you looking for. And this brings me to my last point, which is blowing your trumpet. Because a lot of times people feel you're being humble by not talking about what you're building. I mean, in silence. In <laughs> silence. You need to be loud as far as I'm concerned. Building <laughs> violence, yo. Build loud. Yeah, you need to be loud. You need to talk about what you're doing. You need to seize every opportunity to market your product, your ideas, whatever it is you do. Let people find you and let people see. Because like I mentioned, right, it will surprise you to know that one of our investors came from Facebook. Wow. Yes, leading to our company page, sent a message. Oh, I've been following you guys for a while. Can we have a meeting? I was connected to that investor. We had the meeting and, you know, it happened, right? So, yeah, so that's it for me. Thank you so much, Gerald. We're out of time. Wish we had more to get deeper into this. But thank you for the time with us today on the African PC. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's always a pleasure. And thank you all for tuning in and listening. As we close, I think the question I have to leave, leave you with, especially if you're a founder or building a startup, is 
how do you make sure day to day that you are focused on solving a real problem with a real solution and you can give us your answers give us your thoughts our email is hello at africanprec.com you can share your answers with us on our social media hashtag african podcast i'm andy obo catch you next time